Would you support StoryCast by simply lifting a finger? Well, you can, right now. And every time you go to shop at Amazon, just go to our website first, storycastpodcast.com, and click on the Amazon banner. Simple as that. Then you shop as normal, and we get a kickback on everything you purchase. Thank you. The word gratitude is a noun. It describes a state of being appreciative for kindness given. There's no verb form of the word gratitude. The adjective that describes the act of showing gratitude is to be grateful. But the actual verb meaning to show gratitude is to thank. Thank, thank you, thanks. They can all be nouns and verbs and adjectives, all born from gratitude. And those words have so worked their way into our collective vernacular and idioms and soliloquy so deeply, sometimes it's hard to know really what they mean exactly. You reply, fine, thanks, when you're having a horrible week. You send a thank you card for a gift you hate. And that job interview, they'll thank you for coming in, no matter how things turn out. To be sincerely thankful matures from an attitude and an understanding. And to look outside of oneself to appreciate the kindness around you. And there we are, back to gratitude again. And few people could be more thankful than longtime Manchester United fan Chris Madden, who attended his team's game and then suddenly suffered a heart attack upon exiting the football stadium. The game was a draw, a heartbreak all around. Chris was fortunate enough to be walking near another fan, a man named Dr. Rob Chapman, who had attended the game with his son. The doctor snapped into action and administered basic first aid until help arrived. Dr. Chapman saved Chris's life and then never saw him again. Until Chris took it upon himself to seek out this good Samaritan by posting video messages and asking the man to come forward who saved his life. His message? I'm looking for you, the guy who possibly saved my life after the Burnley game. Please come forward and let me shake your hand and say thank you on behalf of my family, my wife, and my lovely son. If you don't want to come forward, I respect your wishes, but from here, thank you. Dr. Chapman did come forward, and Chris got his chance to say a proper thank you, to which Dr. Chapman replied, you look a hell of a lot better than the last time I saw you. A simple thank you goes a long ways sometimes, whether in words, action, or just in spirit. This time on the StoryCast, the many shades of thank you. Chapter 1, For Whom the Dinner Bell Tolls America's first Thanksgiving is romanticized and aggrandized in our folklore. But there's a lot more to the story that never made it into your history textbook. The story doesn't even start with the pilgrims. It starts some 240 years after Plymouth, somewhere just north of the Mason-Dixon line. A nation divided, families and friends torn apart. You see, people in our nation were at odds against two very different principles. Not only opposing sets of values, but contrasting ways of life that had split our nation. The long fight over slavery had nearly destroyed America 
And now people needed to come together. And one president had a plan. A plan for unity. The year was 1863. America's civil war had taken its toll on our young nation. The Confederacy was collapsing and the long drawn out reconstruction era would soon begin. But right now, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln needed something. An idea to bring people back together. Fathers and sons, brothers and lovers, our land was separated by both geography and ideology. And maybe the war itself was ending. But something more than eloquent speeches and patriotic monuments was needed to coax America as a nation to come back together, to forgive, to love, and on a personal level, maybe even just to enter the same room at the same time. So Lincoln had a plan. He declared the final Thursday of November as a day of Thanksgiving. Now, recurring ceremonial feasts of Thanksgiving and prayer have been a rich part of English tradition dating back to the 1500s as a way to give thanks to a creator for bountiful harvest and merciful blessings of all kind. But this day, this Thanksgiving day, would stand as a stark remembrance of the first colonists who braved their journey, struggled mightily, and finally found a bountiful harvest by joining together with the native peoples to celebrate, thus giving birth to our great nation under a band of unity. For Lincoln, maybe, just maybe, this day of gratitude would invoke the same sense of unity, to count our blessings, to remember where we came from, and maybe that would foster a sense of who we truly are and a desire to return to such. It was such an appropriate story of unity, a much needed tale to calm divided families and maybe trick them into eating a meal together. The story of the so-called first Thanksgiving was so perfect for Lincoln, it might almost be mistaken for mythology. And according to the Wampanoag Nation, it was. It was a hoax, well, partially at least, because Lincoln's account left out some facts that missed the real meaning of what happened. And the truth, it makes the story of the first Thanksgiving even stronger. So what really happened on that day, all the way back in 1621? Accounts from the Wampanoag tribe's historic preservation tell a different tale. The story from the other side is one of both fear and acceptance, and it goes to show how Lincoln's version missed the mark, and your version too, most likely. So, you know the anachronistic story of Squanto helping the pilgrims grow corn by using fish as a fertilizer? Well, it could be true. Perhaps, maybe. The pilgrims kept journals after all. Either way, after docking the Mayflower in 1620 and making camp at Plymouth Rock, the pilgrims toughed out a rough winter. Our nation began as 102 immigrants sought out a new world, visualizing personal freedoms. Yet those 102 saints and strangers had dwindled to just 23 souls after that first winter. So, Squanto or not, by 1621, those final 23 pilgrims finally celebrated when their harvest succeeded. And for a group of less than two dozen aliens to a new land, who had just seen 79 of their loved ones die of hunger and cold right before their eyes, this was surely cause for celebration. So how does one celebrate from humble encampment when corn equals pure joy? With gunpowder, of course. And so their survivors began shooting their muskets and their cannons into the air. Now it was a party. But this party attracted quite a bit of attention, attention from the nearby Wampanoag nation 
who had been watching the pilgrims carefully for some time. The same native people who had cautiously for good cause encountered both vicious Viking and desperate Jamestown settler. The Wampanoag nation sent some 90 warriors to investigate the warlike thunder coming from the white man's camp. It was a fact-finding mission, but the warriors were ready to engage. The Wampanoag arrived at the pilgrim's camp armed and ready for battle. It was only after communicating through a translator that the warriors understood the true reason for the celebration, the pilgrim's first successful harvest. Native American and immigrant American did not feast together that day, according to Wampanoag accounts. Instead, the warriors camped nearby for three days and kept a close eye on the colonists, as they were still nervous and unconvinced of these strange celebratory antics. They watched as the pilgrims feasted and celebrated for three days before hunkering down for their second winter. On this first Thanksgiving, these two groups did not dine together, sharing maize and fowl and whatever other cornucopia of harvest your decorative napkins depict. But what did come of this so-called first Thanksgiving was a treaty. A treaty between the Wampanoag Nation and the Pilgrims of Plymouth. This treaty of trust and mutual protection was about two very different peoples having each other's backs, both vulnerable to each other as well as to outsiders. Two groups who lacked an understanding of each other's customs, cultures, and sensibilities. Two groups who would someday no longer get along, with one side deciding that the other was a bunch of savages and the other side likely following suit. Yet on that day, on that first Thanksgiving day, both sides came together under a common umbrella of humanity, full of nervous uncertainty, yet with a little bit of faith. So then, because of all of them, and Lincoln, and calendars, and your mother's cooking, we share in giving thanks each and every year. But not because two very different sides partied together and gobbled up food to excess nearly 400 years ago, but because two very different groups in our great nation, people with different cultures and ideals and beliefs, decided to rely upon each other on that day and give each other the benefit of the doubt. A nation of people both grounded and preserving where they came from, and a nation built by immigrants. That's why we should give thanks this year. And next, when hopefully that part of history repeats itself and we discover that we've done the same. Chapter 2, Ink and Paper Facts about laws Colonialism was legal at the time. Apartheid was legal. The Holocaust was legal. Slavery was also legal at the time. So if you pick up the pattern here, what does illegal really mean? Because she was only four years old when her toes first touched American soil and the dirt actually did slide in there to her feet, there in Arizona or Texas or California or wherever, because her shoes have been worn apart for weeks now. That walk, dodging crag and border police, had been long, treacherous. There were bandits and thieves. Her father was beaten and robbed. Her mother, much worse. Her name was Rosa or Maria or Isabella. Names don't actually matter here for a change, because the point is, there are nearly two million others just like her who share her story. She 
is a dreamer. And not like a daydreamer or someone with lofty goals or lucid dreams. She was a miner who immigrated illegally into America with her family. Their crazy journey from Mexico or Central America or Eurasia or just about anywhere else was expensive and dangerous. She was brought into this great land, a land of opportunity and riches and education and healthcare, a nation with so much to offer, light years beyond the shabby, destitute, and perilous life she left behind. As her family passed unlawfully into a country that had once welcomed immigrants with open arms, a country whose eastern portal is emblazoned upon Lady Liberty with celebrated words, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. As they passed into this proud land, they must have felt a bit of relief, but just a bit, as the real work would now begin. The task of starting a new life, providing for one's family as an illegal, finding work with no social security number or green card, getting your undocumented child healthcare or into elementary school, or God forbid, finding the money for college someday, all the while skirting the IRS and immigration agents and racists and raised eyebrows from your neighbors and friends. All that work to be able to work and live. It's hard to argue that illegal immigration isn't illegal. Beyond the bleeding heart argument of opening our borders and our arms and our services to the less fortunate, one must acknowledge that this journey across the border into another country, albeit virtuous, is unauthorized as the laws are written. So as some parents keep off the grid and assimilate into the neighborhoods of those who look like them, others seek integration, learning a new language in the evenings at the community college and beginning the steps towards legal naturalization. But regardless of which steps which parents take, Regardless of who paid taxes, or who learned English, or who ended up in jail, one person in this story is innocent of any transgression, innocent beyond a shadow of a doubt. And as the years pass on, that innocent person sits in her room, a roof over her head, in her own country, listening to her music, working on her math homework, and maybe thinking about our quinceanera in a few short years. She is a dreamer an undocumented immigrant who entered the country illegally while under the age of 16. She is a part of an ever-growing, silent, forgotten minority of people who know nothing beyond the life they lived in America. She's an American just as you and I, and just as your German grandfather and my Portuguese grandmother once were, originally from someplace else, and now here we are. But aren't we all? Holding dear to our identities from where we came, with the same flesh and blood, no different than the average American citizen who grew up just down the street from you. It all started with Barack Obama's 2012 Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Miners Act. This DREAM Act empowers dreamers to qualify for deferred action. So that once that child who was brought into the U.S. as a minor had lived here for five years, continuously in school or the military without a felony or significant crime, each would be eligible for a renewable two-year reprieve of deportation. Essentially, if you become and remain a functioning member of American society, then welcome, with all the rights to work and learn and live, the life that simple paperwork affords, as if ink and paper are the essence of what makes us human. So that girl, 
who once crossed over the border in shoddy shoes, who received a new pair of shoes that first Christmas after her daddy nearly worked himself to death, who then one day bought her own pair of shoes with the money from her own first paycheck. She, an American, once tired, poor, yearning to breathe free, homeless, tempest-tossed, discovered that lamp and passed through its golden door and so gratefully was handed the pathway to a dream, a dream come true. And her dream, her opportunity, that significant slice of humanity must not be shattered by xenophobic bullying that threatens the moral fabric of our land. Her dream must not be stolen away, whether by America's ink and paper or in the minds of her public. Because, after all, the same chemical compounds that grace the American soil now beneath that girl's feet and your feet, that dirt so strikingly matches the same ground she once tread across when her family took the plunge and started a new life. Just as all earth is earth, we humans are all human. Until whether because of fear or hate or self-worship, we ignore that simple idea. And it's then that we forfeit our own humanity. Every generation in America has had its own ugly reaction to immigrants or refugees. At one time, these outsiders we so loathed were Chinese or Irish or Japanese or Cuban. But those groups didn't undo America. They didn't destroy us. They made us stronger. In truth, there was only ever one particular group of refugees who came into this land and brought war, disease, and hate to the result that they practically wiped out the nation and took over. And we kind of celebrate that on the final Thursday of every November. Chapter 3. Thank you. When you pray before a big meal, it's called saying grace because gratitude is tied in with thankfulness. They go hand in hand. What follows is a song about unearthing gratitude that hides in life. And this track, along with all the original music from this season, is all yours when you check out support.storycastpodcast.com. Wish it was a signpost heading up north And the reflection of your eyes on the horizon of the rising sun And I wish it was a book on the shelf in the house you were raised in And you dust me off when I catch your eye Because every sign is pointing one way And I think I got this red right But staying up all night There's not a way to live this life And I got a hundred miles to go And a thousand lines to tow Or a million battles thrown Just to call something your own not have to thank you thank you no yes I should thank you thank you so
How I wish it was a crashing wave on the coast of the shore near your home that you never really gave a mind. Oh, I wish it was a word on your lips that you sing for a song with a part that you never really knew the line. Cause the tides are turning one way And I think I got this song right We're Staying up all night It's the way we live our life sometimes When I got a hundred miles to go And a thousand lines to tow Or a million battles thrown This is something Storycast was written and produced by myself. I tweet at Russell Silva. This week you heard music from Chad Lawson, Christopher Ferriera, Philip Wesley, Cremaine Booker covering Hans Zimmer, and myself. The Storycast will continue on Christmas Day with another chapter of life that tells the story of us through a common thread. So until next time, think, feel, and wonder a little bit more. <laughs>